I invite you again this evening to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, we've been uh, marching through this book together over the last weeks, and the Lord has brought us uh, to the last chapter tonight, Daniel chapter 12. We're going to look again at its entirety, uh, but it's shorter. Uh, There aren't 45 verses, but 13, so be thankful maybe for that. Um, Daniel chapter 12. I'll begin reading at verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, we have come to your powerful, transforming word, and we pray then that you would help us to understand it. Father, that these words that are now preached would be your voice, that this would be not my words or my thoughts, but your message. Father, that you would be present among us and in our hearts as you open them and show us Christ and show us eternity. And we will give you all the praise for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Ian Duguid, in his commentary on the book of Daniel, 
makes the observation uh, that we live in an age in which we expect everything to be fixable. If something is broken, uh, he says, you can just call the repairman and he'll come over and, and fix it. And, and this really is the case uh, in all sorts of different areas. If your uh, child has crooked teeth, uh, just take him to the orthodontics and, and, and he can hopefully fix it. Uh, this also covers politics. Uh, those on both sides of the aisle, those on the left tend to think a little bit more government, a little bit more money can fix our problems. Those on the right think a little less government, a little more personal freedom, and your problems can be fixed. And this has also crept into the church. If you have problems, just attend the right conference, read the right book, pray the right prayer, and all will be well. There's just one problem with that. That's not how life works. Duguid shares the story of when his son was young and was out on a walk with his mom, and they came upon a dead bird on the side of the road. And with all the seriousness of a young boy who had never seen such a thing before, he looked up at his mom and said, Mom, this can't be fixed, can it? To which she said, no, no, that can't be fixed. You see, we live in a world profoundly broken. You and I see the fingerprints of the curse everywhere we look. Outside and in our own homes and in our own hearts and our lives. And we quickly learn in life that some things can't be fixed. Certain broken relationships sometimes can't be fixed. We can't just simply and quickly fix our sin or our suffering or certainly death. And the longer we live under the sun, the longer we live in this cursed world, the more realism begins to kick in and sometimes take its toll. And there are days and seasons and moments in our lives, even as believers, where we can begin to lose hope. A few weeks ago, our niece was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. And just two rounds of chemo later, she has been ravaged by it. And many days in the hospital, the hardest thing of all to see is her spirit has been broken. What does she need and her parents need and you need and I need? And what did Daniel need in moments like these? When life's hardships and realities hit us like a two-by-four between the eyes, we don't need a shallow assurance that everything will be okay. We need something bigger than that. We need something um, stronger than that. We need something more durable. We need something lasting. We need a conviction. We need a conviction that there is a purpose to our pain, a trajectory to our lives, 
and ultimately an end to our suffering, which is exactly what chapter 12 is about. Chapter 11 held forth this fourth and final vision for Daniel, uh, but it continues into the opening verses of chapter 12. And here, uh, the angel suddenly and beautifully interrupts these scenes of a future uh, a persecution and tribulation with news of an eternal perspective which gives Daniel, though he sees in the glass darkly, hope and a conviction. A couple of weeks ago, only less than that, Ravi Zacharias went to be with the Lord, and this last week I came across this uh, quote by him. He said this, If you take eternity away, you will find that all other questions become quite unanswerable. If you take eternity away, then how can we deal with the hardships of life? Well, let's begin. He's given a picture in these opening verses. At verse 1 we read, At the time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, notice, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So, so future trouble was yet to come. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, what does he mean by a deliverance? Does it mean that some will be killed and martyred at the end during the tribulation and others won't? Others will be protected? No, it's actually far better news than that. It means that even those who are killed by the sword, even those who are martyred for their faith in the end, one day will be delivered. In fact, we have in verses 2 and 3 one of the clearest references to the bodily resurrection of believers in the entire Old Testament. Look with me at verse 2. The angel tells Daniel, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There will be a great and final awakening. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl will on that day be raised, some to eternal life and others to eternal death, eternal contempt. It says eternal shame. And as chapter 12 shows, there are only really two types of people in this world. There are the wicked on the one hand and the wise on the other. And the wicked will continue acting wickedly until the time of the end. But notice the reward offered to those who are wise. Verse 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, what an encouragement this must have been for Daniel. The wicked will be judged. The oppressed 
God's beloved church will be delivered. Delivered. Verse 4, then Daniel is instructed to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Not so that it might be hidden, but rather that it might be kept, might be preserved. And many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is a, a reference to Amos chapter 8, verse 12, uh, where in that context it speaks of a future where people will run after knowledge, but they will not find it because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness and God gives them over to their sin, Romans 1. And yet for the people of God, yet for the wise, the book of Daniel will be and is and has been a wonderful comforting balm in the midst of our pilgrimage. David Helm and his a series through Daniel and his commentary divides it into the two halves. Chapters 1 through 6 he calls thriving in Babylon. And chapters 7 through 12 he says getting home from Babylon. It's a great encouragement to the church for how to be faithful in this world which is not our ultimate home and yet how to fix our gaze upon our true citizenship, heaven itself. But in these verses, you have to wonder, how much could Daniel really wrap his mind around with old covenant eyes? How much could he comprehend? Lots of questions remained. And Daniel wasn't the only one with questions. In fact, in verses 5 through 11, there are two questions that are asked by two different individuals and answers given. The first is asked by the angel, and the second is asked by Daniel himself. The angel in verses 5 through 6 says this. Let me read it for us. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the stream, here's his question, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? He wants to know uh, the timetable, which is what we always want to know, isn't it? How long? How long will we have to endure suffering? How long until the end? Well, we don't have to wait very long to hear the answer that he's given. Look with me at verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be, here it is, for a time, times, and half a time. Well, thank you for clarifying. Helm talks about this being sort of like uh, being in high school geometry class, and uh, uh, one of his classmates asks a question to the teacher, and the teacher goes off and gives some uh, answer, and uh, he says, by the time they're done, I wasn't any better off than when we had started, and I left class once again not having a clue of how to do geometry. That's probably a little bit like you feel, and I felt, and Daniel felt, as we hear this, a time, times, and half a time. What do we make of this? Well, we already saw this sequence in chapter 7, and we again learn of it in the book of Revelation. 
We think it means a time is a year, times are two years, and a half a time is half a year, meaning three and a half years, which is, of course, half the full duration of a seven-year cycle. In other words, I think what's being said is, however long this period lasts, it's going to be limited. There's a limit to the time that the church is called to suffer until the final consummation. Similar words in Matthew, Jesus is teaching, chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. Listen, there Jesus says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. There, there, there's a limit for the sake of the elect, for the sake of Christ's precious sheep to the suffering that they'll have to endure. It, it won't last forever. And this man clothed in linen goes on to tell the angel that the end will come only after the power of God's people are shattered. It's interesting. Uh, one commentator I read this week said, we tend to think that when the church is strong, the kingdom of God will come fully on earth, but the angel tells us just the opposite. It's when the people of God are, are, are its power is shattered that the end will come. But Daniel Daniel doesn't understand. He says that in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. So then he asks the question. Verse 8, what shall be the outcome of these things? If I can't make sense of, of the timing of it, of it all, I at least want to know how it's going to turn out in the end. And he's told, go your way, Daniel, for a second time. These things are shut up and sealed. In other words, Daniel, it's not for you to know. It's no use trying, Daniel, to, to, to wrap your mind around these things. And then he goes on and tells Daniel and the angels, verse 10, many shall purify themselves and, and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Those verbs are divine passives. In other words, it's not Daniel and the people of God who purify themselves and who refine themselves as much as it is God doing that work. God is the one purifying. God is the one who is refining well, then uh, the confusion continues, verse 11, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Daniel's probably going, what's the point of this? But here's the point of this. Daniel doesn't need to know the exact details of what that means. 
And neither do you, and neither do I, need to know the exact details of what that means. And the reason is because God does know the exact detail of what that means. And he's saying to Daniel, just just trust me. There is a a precision here, 1,290 days. And if it's true that God knows the exact details of His people's suffering, then it also means, therefore, that there is a grand and overarching purpose behind our suffering. Ian Duguid says this, if that is true, then I should trust that my Father will not put me through any unnecessary trials, nor will He keep me in them any longer than is necessary for my good even when I cannot see that good myself. If you're a parent, you know instinctively that you are willing to put your children through pain for their good. Not to sit back and watch them suffer, but for their good, for their protection. Why would parents allow their 10-year-old daughter to receive this poison, this chemotherapy, and and then to have her leg amputated? Why would they do that? Why would they go to such extreme measures? Why would parents put their child through something like that, if only it meant to save her life. Only because it is in this context a demonstration of their great love for their child. And you see, that is the love of our Heavenly Father. He puts us in trials. He brings us into suffering for our benefit, for our refining, for our purity. Not because He's against us. Not because He's forgotten about us, but because He is for us and with us and working. Working for our good. Even when we can't understand it. Even when it doesn't make sense even when it's full of sin and hardship and darkness. I think that's what Daniel's takeaway was from the 1,290 days. I don't think Daniel uh, wanted to set up a conference about the end times. I, I think he gets the point. There's an exactness that God already knows. He knows the exact amount of time that the church will be called to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Verse 12, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Blessed is he who waits. 
waiting is so hard. (laughs) Isn't it? Waiting is so hard. Especially in suffering. When you're suffering, when you see someone else that you love suffer. Daniel has waited a long time. He's waited 70 years. He's been faithful to God all of this time. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting for his people to return to Jerusalem, to the promised land, that they might begin rebuilding the temple. And it didn't go as he had hoped. Reports had come back that these efforts had been stalled, not only stalled, but opposed by their enemies. And it was as if God here is telling old Daniel, you need to wait a little longer. And he wasn't calling Daniel to wait a little longer to see the conclusion of the rebuilding project in the promised land. No, he was calling upon Daniel to wait a little longer because the promised land wasn't his ultimate home. He was calling upon Daniel to wait a little longer that he might enter the actual joy of eternal rest. And he gives him this wonderful, beautiful promise at the end in verse 13. He says to Daniel, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the day. One day soon, Daniel would rest. He would rest in a grave. His body would be laid in a tomb somewhere. But it would not be the end of Daniel's story. As verses 2 and 3 tell us, one day Daniel and all the redeemed of God, his precious bride will awake. Daniel saw things only in types and shadows. He's trying to wrap his mind around what these things mean. Can you imagine what he felt when he entered this life and the world to come? I guarantee you that he was able to say, all of the suffering, all of the waiting, all the uncertainty, all the difficulty was worth it. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The glory that is going to be revealed in us. And you see, brothers and sisters, we are so blessed. We are so blessed to live on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't We don't look at these things from old covenant eyes with an old covenant perspective, uh, looking into them and, and wondering what on earth is going on. We see them on this side of these events, of these historical facts. And we can understand by God's grace that the glory that is being referred to in Romans 8 verse 18 is Jesus himself. 
so that what we long for is not only to be rid of this body which is wearing down and decaying, not only to be rid of this sin that is in my heart and in your heart each day, but it is to see Jesus and to behold Him and to be in His presence. <laughs> First Peter says this, chapter 1, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, including Daniel, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent, subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, Jesus Christ is the glory that awaits you and me and which makes the suffering and the hardships and the uncertainties easily worth it when we see him and look back and say, all that God was doing then, he was refining me. He was purifying me, not just as an individual, but his bride, his church, that we might be presented to the groom in radiant splendor. The king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey though seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land, the glory of Jesus, who went to a cross, who became as a sinner, treated as sin, but rose again from the dead. We will be with him. There's two types of people, Daniel says, and there's two destinations. There's the wicked and there's the wise. Jesus says the fool builds his house upon the sand. And when the winds come and the trials crash in upon the fool and the wicked person, he's washed away. He has no foundation. But blessed is he who builds his house upon the rock because for him and for her, when the winds come and the sufferings beat upon us. It's not God's judgment. It's actually God's mercy in refining us, making us ready to meet the Lord. It's fitting then that at the end of an Old Testament book like Daniel, we would come down to this. Do you know Jesus Christ? 
are you building your life upon the rock? Because when you see Jesus, if you love him and trust in him, you'll be able to say it was all worth it. It was all worth it. The glories of seeing the lamb far outweigh all the suffering. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, continue, continue to fight the good fight of faith, continue to walk as a pilgrim and exile in this strange and foreign land. Be faithful as Daniel was. Love those around you. Do good to your cities. But set your heart and your affection not on the things of this world, but on the things of the world to come. That's the conviction we need. And that, by his grace, is what we can have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this servant Daniel. Lord, I'm looking forward to meeting him. Father, what a blessing he has been to me in these weeks. Yet, Father, Daniel would tell me and will tell me, don't look at me, look upon Jesus. Because as I searched and tried to understand all of these things, I came to realize that they were all speaking of him. He is the glory of Emmanuel's land. And Father, we thank you for sending your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, into this world. And Lord, I pray for anyone listening tonight to this message whose life is built upon the sand, the quicksand of, of this world. Father, I pray that they would see the futility and the foolishness of staking their eternity upon things that fall away. And I pray then that they would see Jesus by faith tonight and would run to him and behold him and receive him. And Father, that you would then make your church a beautiful, radiant, spotless bride ready to meet her groom one day. And we thank you that you're in the process of doing that. And we thank you that you use your word and, and you use the fellowship and communion of the saints. And Father, we pray then that you would increase our heart for heaven, that it might make us long for that day and yet faithful here below. We do pray that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus, but not until your people are brought into your fold. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.